This is The Gathering Church in Windsor, Ontario, and I'm Pastor Garth Lino. Welcome to our podcast. James 5, 1-6 begins with some pretty harsh words, doesn't it? Come now, you rich. Weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Huh? Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten? Really? Seriously? Tough words. Many New Testament commentators agree that the harsh words found in James 5, 1-6 were really aimed at wealthy people who are living outside of the family of faith. Non-believers, unbelievers who were exploiting the poor. It, it, it could be a, a warning to rich people who are outside the church and outside of faith in Christ who were taking advantage of poor and needy people. So, as the author speaks to those outside the church, in a letter addressed to those inside the church, he would be using a rhetorical a device known as apostrophe, where a, a speaker uh, turns away from his real audience to address another audience in some other place or some other venue. It's called apostrophe. It's a common rhetorical uh, device uh, that speakers sometimes use. And that's what uh, many New Testament commentators think is going on right here in this passage. He's not necessarily addressing all the rich and wealthy people in the church, uh, because there probably weren't that many, uh, but rather he's addressing people outside the church. Is God suggesting that we should always be poor? No. God is not saying that we should be poor. Having money is not sinful or evil. Becoming wealthy is not a terrible thing. But we need to be very, very careful. And so he issues this warning in the first six verses of chapter 5. This passage is talking about covetousness. This passage is talking about greed. The uncontrolled desire for wealth is the target of his sweeping statements. And in the first place, he says, greed reveals itself in hoarding. Verses 2 and 3, Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. Well, isn't that a non-Canadian thing to say? You have laid up treasure in the last days. I think he's talking about hoarding here. Bertha Adams was 71 years old. She died on Easter Sunday morning a few years ago. The coroner reported that she actually died of malnutrition. She had wasted away to 50 pounds and could just the body could not sustain it. She could not stay alive. When the authorities made their preliminary investigation of her place, they found what they described as a pig pen, the biggest mess they'd ever seen. One seasoned inspector declared in the article that I read that he'd never seen a home in greater disarray. The destitute woman had begged food from neighbors. Her, 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 her clothing came from the Salvation Army thrift store. From all appearances, she was a, a penniless 
recluse, a pitiful and forgotten widow. And such was not the case. In the midst of all the, the stuff that they found in her place, they found two keys, which turned out to be uh, keys to safety deposit boxes in two different local banks. And the discovery was almost unbelievable. The first box contained over 700 stock certificates, uh, plus hundreds of other valuables and bonds, along with a stack of cash just under $200,000. They opened up the second uh, lockbox, uh, safety deposit box, in another bank, and there were no certificates in there, just, just cash, uh, 600000 to be exact. Bertha's hoarding was tragic, and her death is a grim testimony to the shriveled focus of her life. That kind of hoarding is absolutely obscene. The Bible does not discourage us from saving and providing for our loved ones. In fact, it, it commands us to do that. It is dead set against, however, it's dead set against the vast accumulation of, of self-directed wealth that, that is focused solely on perpetuating our own comforts and our own pleasure. That, the Bible condemns as hoarding. Are you hoarding? Sticking it away just, just to spend on your, yourself and your own comforts and your own pleasure and your own retirement, your own family and your own, your own, your own, your own? Or are you using what God has given you to advance the kingdom? I like the second option. I keep telling my kids, don't count on me, I'm spending my inheritance for Jesus. <laughs> I had a guy in a former church who told me one day that he, he uh, wasn't putting any money in RRSPs at all. All the money he had that he would be able to put in RRSPs at the end of the year, he was investing in kingdom work. He gave it all to missions. He wasn't a hoarder. God, greed will also reveal itself through dishonesty, James says. In the next verse, verse 4, he says, Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. Covetousness or, or greed takes the form of dishonesty when we're so delighted to possess wealth for ourselves that we forget to or we refuse to to look after our honest obligations you, you get dishonest you know tax time the temptation is there Old Testament workers uh, the Old Testament rather repeatedly warned uh, landowners and and those in, in positions of authority and wealth warned them against defrauding their workers Various passages like Deuteronomy chapter 24, and this is just one of many, where the Bible says, Do not take advantage of a hired worker who is poor and needy, whether that worker is a fellow Israelite or a foreigner residing in one of your towns. Pay them their wages each day before sunset, because they are poor and they're counting on it. Otherwise they may cry out to the Lord against you, and you will be guilty of sin. Those are strong words. And the landlords that James is addressing 
in his letter were doing exactly that. They were failing to pay the workers who were doing an honest day's work. They were failing to pay their wages at the end of the day. So in this day and age, if we can make the quick uh, transition from you know, 1st century AD to 21st century AD, in this day and age, Christian employers, especially who read the book of James, should heed this warning. Pay your employees what they're worth. Pay an honest man for an honest day's work. Pay him what he's worth and look after his benefits. Don't be coveting prosperity at the expense of your own wealth. Quit, stop lining your own pockets. Be fair and be honest at all times. I think that's what James would say to us today if he was here. If he was the guest preacher. Pay your workers what they're worth. James 5, 1-6 is really all about the sin of greed or covetousness. With, and we all struggle with that, right? We not, might not be wealthy and we're not, you know, defrauding people. But this speaks to our culture. Greed reveals itself through hoarding. Greed reveals itself through dishonesty. Greed also reveals itself through self-indulgence. Where he goes on to say in verse 5, You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. <laughs> Boom! Not your physical heart here. He's not talking about your physical heart. Although if you, if you self-indulge all the time on all the rich food, you're going to put your heart in, 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 in danger. He's talking about your spiritual heart. You, you, you put your... You fatten your heart in a day of slaughter when you disobey God and live like this. This is conspicuous consumption. They lived in luxury and self-indulgence. Overindulgence on myself. Extravagance gone amok. I mean, how much is too much? Self-indulgence is a powerful temptation, isn't it? It really is. It's, and it's, it's highly addictive. <laughs> self-indulgence. The more I spend on myself, the more I think I need to spend on myself. It's addictive. You know, these days, a majority of smartphones, and those of you who know me know I'm not an expert on smartphones. <laughs> but I'm told, and I, I've seen them, some, a lot of the, the highly evolved smartphones have, now have fingerprint technology. So you, you swipe your fingerprint, right, to, to open up the phone or unlock the phone. Well, apparently, these superior technological advances were no, uh, failed to thwart a very sly six-year-old girl who took her mother's, her sleeping mother's thumb when she was asleep and swiped her phone last Christmas. And later in the day when the mother awoke uh, and checked her email, she discovered 13 confirmations from Amazon that toys had been ordered with her credit card. Pretty smart six-year-old. I think my granddaughters are well on their way, you know. Actually, when I thought about it, I thought, you know, he, he, listen, here is a kid who has been and is being steeped in a culture that is very good at teaching children how to, in James' words, live on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You know what I'm saying? We're teaching people how to do this from the time they're five or six years old. 
We overindulge them, so why wouldn't they overindulge themselves? Your baby boomer parents gave you everything you ever wanted because they didn't want you to suffer like they did when they were younger. Oh, such suffering. You poor baby boomers. And our parents were the same. You know, they went through the war. They wanted to give us everything that they couldn't afford or do, couldn't have. All we're doing is overindulging people and they, they, they now live with an expectation that they should have it all. And that's what James is talking about here. You fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. The reference is to future judgment. Folks, his point is that rich people who exploit the poor are selfishly accumulating wealth for themselves and wastefully spending it on their own pleasure in the very day when God's judgment is right around the corner. It's like James is going, what's the matter with you? God's judgment is around the corner. Don't live like that. You're going to have to answer for that someday. There are appropriate and suitable times for extravagance and celebration. I believe that. Of course there are. Graduations and weddings and anniversaries and retirements and the birth of all my grandchildren. <laughs> so yeah, there's a time to throw a party and have a feast and give gifts to the people that you love. Of course there is. But a life filled with conspicuous consumption? A life of habitual self-indulgence, a life of chronic selfishness and greed is not Christian. Never was and never will be. Not now, not ever. That's not how Jesus wants his people to live. Followers of Jesus should not live like that. I don't care how much money you got. Because the more you got, the more you should give away. I mean, how much do you really need? By the way, by the way, if you make just $25,000 a year, you are in the top 4% of the richest people in the world. Amen. At just $25,000 a year. When, when you reach $50,000 a year, you are in the top 0.62% uh, of the richest people in the world. Not the richest people in Canada, but the richest people in the world. And $75,000 a year, you are in the top 0.21% of the richest people in the world. And there are a lot of people in this room who make $75,000 or more. You're in the top 0.21% of the richest people in the world. So if you happen to be sitting there thinking, oh, you know, this James 5, 1 to 6 is for rich people outside the church and who are exploiting the poor, that's not me, so I don't have to listen. Come on. Give your head a shake. This is for all of us. This message, this word is for all of us because I think we all struggle with these temptations of dishonesty and, 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 and hoarding and self-indulgence and selfishness. If you've got blood in your veins and your heart's still pumping, you struggle with this stuff. So this word is for us. James 5, 1 to 6. He gives us a fourth word about greed. He talks to us about murder. Verse 6, you've condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. The word condemn in this context, the word that James is using here is really a judicial term. It's a, it's a legal term. And I think in the context he's suggesting that these rich landlords, people with power and wealth, were using and perhaps abusing the legal processes of the land to take advantage of poor people. 
See, the landlords controlled the courts. And so if you didn't have money, you didn't have prestige, you didn't have power, you didn't have position, you couldn't use the courts. And so these poor people, the, 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 the needy people, were, were helpless and as good as dead. They were murdered by a, a judicial system that favored the wealthy. Does that make sense? So he's saying you, you take advantage of the, the, the legal system of the land to exploit the poor, shame on you. Material fixation just spawns a, a, a miserable quartet in one's life. Hoarding, dishonesty, self-indulgence, and murder, judicial murder. And, 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 and though this is a characterization of the world without Christ, James 5, 1-6, we must never imagine ourselves to be immune to it. I know I'm not. I'm not immune to this stuff. So these harsh words may have been aimed initially at the wealthy, non-believing, non-Christians who were exploiting the poor. But I believe this passage speaks to us today about our own struggle with money and wealth and prestige and placement in our society. And let's be very clear. Hoarding, dishonesty, self-indulgence, selfishness, they're just, they're just symptoms of a greater problem, aren't they? just symptoms. The root cause of this miserable quartet that we're talking about is sin. Sin is at the core of all of this. And in Matthew 7, Jesus said, every good tree bears good fruit. A bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit. And a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. So the problem is the tree, not what's hanging on the branches. Not the fruit. The real problem is in the roots. It's in the trunk. It's, it's in the life of the tree. If you were able to cut off all the bad fruit in your life, you know, if I could stretch this, this analogy, cut off all the bad fruit. Say, ha! No more dishonesty, no more hoarding, no more selfishness, ha! It just grows back next season. You don't, if you don't hack that tree down at the roots and get the roots out of the ground, you're going to, have, you're going to keep having trouble. Bad fruit will grow back next season. The only permanent solution, therefore, comes through Jesus Christ, comes through the gospel. That's the solution. That's, Jesus lived a perfect life, and he died a perfect death, and he came out of the grave alive on the third day so that he could rescue us, and so that we could have eternal life, and so that we could have sufficient grace for every single day of our lives, so we could walk in the light and not in the darkness. So that we can have the strength and, 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 and ability by the grace of God to say no to hoarding and, and no to dishonesty and no to self-indulgence and no to judicial murder and taking advantage of, of anybody. His loving kindness leads us to repentance. So let's repent if we need to this morning. And grace will lead us home. Let's pray. Lord, the words to that old hymn come to my mind this morning. All to Jesus I surrender. Humbly at His feet I bow. Worldly pleasures all forsaken 
Take me, Jesus. Take me now. And that is our corporate prayer this morning, Lord. We surrender all to Jesus.